Welcome to Full Life FM. I'm your host, Emily Tim. I'm a registered dietitian, content creator, and feminist on a mission to help women live their fullest lives. I've worked with thousands of women with PCOS and other endocrine conditions to optimize metabolic, reproductive, and mental health. I'm passionate about approachable, evidence-based nutrition, intentional living, and the Mediterranean diet and lifestyle. Each week, we'll bring you new episodes and guest interviews to inspire, empower, and educate on what it really means to be healthy. If you like this podcast, please share it with a friend or leave a review. And if you're ready to do health together, I'd love to have you in my membership community, the Full Life Society. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. All right. Hello, everyone. We are here for an interview episode, and I have a really special guest with me today. I have Dr. Sonia Singh with me, and Sonia is a primary care physician who runs her own practice. I'll let her fill you in on the details of that. But we have connected through Instagram because of similar interests that we have, and we just thought it would be great to have a conversation around proactive healthcare and preventative healthcare and what that looks like when you're a woman navigating the healthcare system. Um, So to start with, Sonia, do you want to just share a little bit about your current practice and how you got there and just your background and anything else that's relevant? Yeah, sure. So yeah, as you said, um, my name is Sonia Singh. I'm a board certified internist. I practice in Houston, Texas. Um, I did primary care in the traditional system for about five years um, out of residency. And uh, in the beginning of this year, so January 2022, I opened my own practice called Juniper Modern Primary Care. Um, and I, I, you know, if you told me a few years ago that I was going to be running my own practice, I would have, you know, thought you were insane because I never imagined opening a business, opening a solo practice, being on my own. Um, I was so used to kind of the traditional system of like working for a big hospital system, getting a paycheck, just showing up and doing your job and doing the medicine. But um, what I realized was when I became a patient myself, when I was pregnant with my son and right afterwards, I ended up just looking at my job and the healthcare system with a different lens and seeing that people like me, I felt were not maybe being served in the ways that they wanted and needed. I saw kind of how, you know, women in their thirties and forties were craving a different experience with their doctor. They wanted more information. They wanted more time. They were trying to be proactive and focus on lifestyle. They usually had a lot on their plate in terms of working and motherhood and, you know, managing a household. And, I just felt like in the traditional healthcare system, it's so hard to get just any care and then to go beyond that and have somebody that really is thinking about your whole life and your lifestyle and your nutrition and your sleep and your stress management. It was just, it didn't exist. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to make that. (laughs) And I thought this is either a great idea or a terrible one because nobody else seems to really be doing it quite that way. Um, But um, I found this model called direct primary care, which a lot of doctors around the country are doing. It's based on a membership fee. So my patients pay a flat monthly membership fee to be part of the practice. And that covers all their visits and there's no copays. And then that allows me to have a much smaller panel of patients to take care of. Like I'm planning to have 250 and most 
primary care doctors have 10 times that many. Um, and what that means is that I can spend a long time with them. I can see them the same day or the next day, usually if they need to be seen. I don't have to drag them into the office for things that can be handled by text or by phone. So it's just like a whole new version of healthcare. And it's honestly um, been so much fun and so rewarding. Wow, that's amazing. And so you just, you got started in January, just in January. Wow. Yes, this year it hasn't even been a full year yet. Yeah. And so you were nervous about how people were going to receive that, receive it. Are a lot of women interested in this style? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was really nervous because, you know, a lot of people are kind of moving towards direct care and doing this monthly membership model, but almost nobody that I know of is doing it just for a small demographic, like I'm doing it and focusing yeah. on women. Um, and when I would float the idea to women in my demographic, they would be like, oh my God, yes, I want that. Uh, but when I would float it to, for instance, my parents or my husband or, you know, people who are not in this season of life or in our position, they would think like, well, why would you need that? Like, why would you pay extra? Like, why wouldn't you just go to your yearly physical with your doctor? Like, why don't you just use your, you know, insurance-based doctor that you already have? So I found that for the people that I was trying to reach, it was very attractive, but to a lot of other people, it didn't really make sense. Um, and I was just worried about if I was going to be able to find enough of those people, you know, find my people. And um, I have, like, I feel like it's actually wow. <laughs> been going really well. And, um, you know, once people kind of understand what it is, they want to do it. And my patients are such cheerleaders for me. They like tell all their friends. So um, it's been, it's, it's gone, you know, better than I expected. It's been going really well. That's incredible. And I don't know if I, if you even know this, I don't think we talked about this, but so far um, I've done a couple of, well, probably around four or five interviews now with providers, all of whom are in this di direct care model, mm -hmm. all of whom got started like in the pandemic or like recently, after, you know, in this kind of time. Yeah, I, I'm I, not surprised. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like the, I feel like the pandemic highlighted so many flaws. Like, you know, we knew about the flaws in our healthcare system before and, and now it's like more than ever we know, we know about them. And um it's also, I think, kind of interesting because moving forward, we don't know, you know, how COVID is going to impact chronic disease rates and, and all of these things that we kind of take for granted. So for myself, as your ideal demographic, young working mom, I'm thinking so much differently about my own health and being like trying to be more proactive than ever. Mm -hmm. um, so like when somebody comes into your office what what does that look like you know what kind of you know workup do you do or is it like lab testing or is it referrals or mm -hmm. what what does it mean to you to like manage the whole person yeah so usually the process is they'll do a free meet and greet with me for you know 10-15 minutes virtually to make sure we're a good fit because I think so much about choosing your primary is just about kind of the vibe and whether you guys Absolutely. are and so I want people to have that opportunity to see if I'm the right doctor for them so once they do that and they decide to join, they usually can schedule to see me within a week. Um, and that first visit is usually 60 to 90 minutes, which is already way different than um, most primary care doctor visits. Um, there's no wait. I have no assistant. It's just me. So I usually, as soon as they get there, I call them back to the room. 
I don't start by checking everyone's weight because it's honestly unnecessary. Wow. <laughs> because I get to control the flow. Um, I have literally thought about, you know, every single part of the exam and, you know, that visit and what's necessary and what's not necessary and what order I want to do it in. So I don't do the blood pressure and the weight up front because it's usually like you get weighed, you get anxious about it, you get your blood yeah. pressure taken, the blood pressure's high. And yeah. then you know, the doctor walks in and starts talking to you about, you know, weight loss and your vaccines and all kinds of other things. And your, your mind is spinning. So, um, I just have them come in. We just chat. We have like a very natural organic conversation. Usually they've done their forms online beforehand. So I have some background and I have their records to work with. So I've usually already reviewed all of that so we can make the time actually valuable. I go through all of their concerns. And then with every patient on the first visit, I go through diet, hydration, um, physical activity, sleep, and stress management. And I have them rate themselves one to 10 on those different, um, you know, um, factors. Mm -hmm. And then we go through, okay, why did you give yourself a five? Why did you give yourself a seven? What makes it a seven and not a 10, you know? And I try to understand really what's happening in all of those different areas. Um, and then we do a typical exam and I do do the vital signs. I ask them if they want to be weighed. And then at the end of the visit, um, I usually, I take the visit to kind of gather all the information and then I go home and sit and process. And I write them like a, a written out summary of everything we discussed, all of their concerns, my thoughts about them, the plan for them, and then, you know, preventive healthcare reminders. And then also all of the lifestyle factors and sort of, you know, little tips that I think could maybe help them optimize those. And then most of the time I order blood work on that visit. Um, I'm very thoughtful about what I order. So I'm not just ordering like the same like panel of 200 things for every patient. Right. Um, and I let them know the price upfront so they know exactly how much they're paying. And with direct care pricing, it's honestly shockingly cheap. Like our annual yeah. physical labs are $12.55. And whenever I say $12.55, people are like $1,255. I'm like, no, it's actually $12.55. Wow. So, um, we do kind of a, you know, initial panel depending on what they need. And then usually I'll schedule a virtual visit in one or two weeks to go over those results with them in detail, even if they're normal. Um, and then from there, it's really whatever the patient wants to make it. So some patients are just there because it's convenient and they just want, you know, access to a doctor when they need them. And they don't call me that often. Mm -hmm. um, and then I have some patients that are working on lowering their blood pressure or their cholesterol or, you know, titrating anxiety medicines or whatever. And so for them, I'll check in with them a lot more often, like, you know, every two to six weeks. And that can be a text message. It can be a phone call. It can be a virtual chat. It can be in person. So because we're not billing the insurance, we just have like so much more flexibility in how we use our time. Wow. Uh, that's incredible. I mean, I was blown away even when you said you don't weigh the, per, you know, you don't even do a weight up front because it's so, tr it's so true. It's so, um, it's just so impersonal a lot of the time when, when we go to the doctor and, you know, I, I work in healthcare, but in, in private practice. And I recently had a PCP appointment and I just felt so underwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And then I had a lot of stress in trying to figure out my, like, referring myself to things that I thought I needed <laughs> because yeah. when they, you know, when they say, well, your labs are normal, you're a healthy, you know, you're a healthy person, whatever it is, but it's like, well, kind of, but not all the way true. You know, that just seems so much more sim simplified. And yeah. um, what about for like nu nutrition and, and lifestyle? Do you have those conversations or are you kind of like referring them to different resources? Um, yeah. yeah, so I actually, 
Yeah, I, I did a master's in nutrition before I went to medical school. So I'm not wow. a registered dietitian. I'm not an RD, but I do have, you know, some additional background in nutrition. It's something that I'm passionate about. And I think about a lot. I mean, I think it has so much to do with our overall health and wellness. So it's, mm -hmm. it's such a key component and we don't honestly get a lot of training on it in medical school. Like it's like a week, maybe of lectures that, you know, if you're lucky and it's such a, you know, it's kind of a murky science and it's always changing. So I think you have to have a lot of interest and be willing to put in the time to keep, you know, continue your education on it. If you're really going to give people meaningful advice. So I try to do that. Um, so I would say in my practice, I definitely give a lot of sort of high level nutritional advice. Um, mm -hmm. And then if I think someone needs like really more kind of nitty gritty um, advice, then I'll, I'll refer to a, a nutritionist. But honestly, for most people, the, 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 the really like getting down into the weeds is like not going to be that helpful because a lot of times those are not sustainable. So most people I find need help with the bigger picture ideas and just finding Absolutely. like general strategies that are going to fit into their life, you know? And so it helps that I know what they do for a living and what their schedule is like and how many kids they have and what their partner likes to eat. And, you know, like all of the things that influence what we actually end up eating every day. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because um, when I first entered the online space, that was surprising to me how many people were reaching out and had been given advice that was super, super micro. Mm -hmm. And then it was almost like this, like tug of war of trying to not convince, but to, to encourage them to almost let that go a little bit and to share yeah. all of this very it's, you know, somewhat broad advice, but it's like, this is really all you need. It's actually not that hard. The hard part is the lifestyle design. Yes. And yes. And so much yeah. is that so much of it is about lifestyle design. Like what's been so interesting in my practice now is a lot of the women that come to me, like they're savvy. They kind of know what they should be doing. They know what they want to be doing. Like they're, they've are, it's not a lot of times it's not like a lack of information. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like their life doing those things like doesn't fit into their life. And so sometimes I find myself like encouraging people to outsource household tasks or like just put money towards like getting a healthy meal delivery service, like a healthy local meal delivery. There's so many of those since the pandemic that have popped right. up where there are these little small businesses also run by women who are just like creating healthy, you know, pre-made meals. And so many of my patients are spending like, you know, putting that money towards like DoorDash or Favor. And I'm like, you could spend the same money and just like yeah. intentionally have a healthier meal. Or, you know, I encourage some patients to do home, home organization because creating like a functional space sometimes like encourages you to eat better and, you know, to kind of show up for yourself. Oh my God. I, so these so are all exciting. <laughs> I mean, these are all things that no one ever, like whenever I say these things, I'm like, this is going to sound funny coming from a doctor, but I really think you should get your closet professionally organized. Well, this episode, this is so fun. I literally was just, just doing a live stream in the membership as part of our challenge, because part of the challenge, I'm like, you guys, this might sound a little nutty, but I want, you know, we were talking about like looking at spaces in our home that may you know, impact the way that we feel and, and optimizing them to be more in alignment with how we want to feel. That's the big, like for me, that's the biggest thing, especially with kids. I don't kids know if you've looked this up or you already know this. There's, there's literally a study on this where they looked at like people's marital satisfaction and also people's like mood. And it was directly correlated with like 
the way they felt about their cluttered spaces in their home. Like they asked him about like their attics and their closets and things like that. And so if women felt like those places were chaotic and disorganized, they had similar, like this correlated very well with the feelings they had about like their marriage and their well-being and like all kinds of other things. So this is like a real thing, you know? And I, I just think like, again, this is like so outside the realm of traditional medical care. Cause like we barely have enough time in the traditional setting to just like take care of someone's diabetes or like their <laughs> blood pressure yeah. or making sure that they remember their mammogram or whatever. But these are the kind of things that I think like really move the needle and make a difference for women who, like you said, so many women would come to me saying, oh, my doctor says I'm healthy and all my labs are normal, but like, I don't feel healthy. Like I don't feel well, you know, or like, I'm just so tired and overwhelmed. And that's just, I think, like you said, that has to do with like lifestyle design and so many other mm -hmm. factors that are not going to be fixed with like a pill <laughs> or something. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is, I mean, I'm just, I'm just ecstatic right now because I, I felt like, oh my God, are other people talking about this? You know, like I had that feeling. I know. I don't feel that way either. And I feel sometimes, I sometimes yeah. feel like, am I crazy for the, yeah. thinking that this is like stuff that I should be talking to people about, but yep, it's so, um, but it's interesting for, you know, it's now I'm going to go do a literature review um, because I just thought, you know, I'm like, well, maybe I'm just super neurotic and I need my spaces like this. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's true. Um, what did you find the most challenging? Like after you had a, you had a son. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what was that transition like for you? Like, how did that impact your health? Do you mind sharing? Like, no, not at all. I mean, it was such a big part of me deciding to start my practice. I mean, he, he pushed me to it. I never would have done this. I think if I hadn't become a mother and just looked at the world differently after that, but um, I mean, I, I took a almost three month maternity leave and then I went back to my job and it was in like the middle of a pandemic surge. So my job was different. My life was different. I mean, the world was different. And what I found myself feeling, you know, part of me was like, oh no, it's too soon. He's so young. I don't feel like I can go back. But part of me also like felt so much better at my job than I did at being a mom. Like when I was at my job, I was like, I know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm good at this. Like I'm trained for this. I've had like a decade of education to do this. And when I was at home with my son, I just felt like I did not know what I was doing at all. <laughs> so like I really missed, I really missed that having that confidence and like knowing what was going on. And so part of me wanted to go back to work. Part of me didn't want to go back to work. And that kind of internal conflict just like carries on through all of motherhood. So yeah. I went back. And I found myself feeling so just, you know, when I was there, I felt guilty about not being home. When I was home, I felt guilty about all the work I like had left behind. I found myself just struggling to finish the task I needed to finish to get out in time to relieve my nanny and then having no energy to like have quality time with my son. Like I just felt like when I got home, it was like, okay, feed him bedtime, bath time, feed myself, <laughs> you know? And I, it was just every day was like this vicious cycle of that. And I even was working part-time. So I would work like, um, Tuesday through Friday in clinic full days. And then, um, you know, Saturday through Monday, I was off. Although Monday was usually like the day I caught up on all of my messages and my charting. And it just felt like <laughs> my husband would be like, okay, when you're at work, you seem like you want to be home. But then when you're home, like you have work to do. <laughs> and it felt like, even though I was like kind of splitting the week between these two chests, I was never, I never felt happy. Like I just always yeah. felt like I wasn't doing a good job at whatever I was trying to do. Yeah. So um, at some point I just realized like, you know, 
I don't know any other primary care job, if any other primary care job is really much different than what I'm doing now. And maybe I just need to expand my mind and think totally outside the box and, you know, do something completely different. And the beauty of what I'm doing now is just that it serves me and my life and my family and also serves my patients who I think have similar needs. And so we all understand each other. So if my son is, my son is two and a half now and he's starting school and he's always sick. <laughs> and now I don't have to call and worry that I'm canceling 20 patients that are not going to know why I canceled on them and that are going to have to wait for an appointment for a few weeks, few more weeks. You know, I'm canceling like maybe six at most and they all understand and they literally know my son and they're more worried about if he's going to get better <laughs> than, you know, the fact that they couldn't talk to me that day. So, um, I mean, it's just been, it's just kind of all come full circle for me. Yeah. Like it's still hard, but now it's actually livable. I love to ask that question because I just want people to know that healthcare providers like struggle to be healthy too. Oh, yeah. um, because I, you know, your story just was so similar to mine. Like after I had my first daughter and that was just, I don't know. God, the whole thing was just horrendous. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Like, I mean, not horrendous. Like I love being a mom, but the, the lack of support and yeah. the lack, the lack of understanding and like, just feeling like I was failing at all the things. And I think it's so interesting because so many women who are healthcare providers and are actually like really embodied in the fact that they live a healthy lifestyle are having to leave traditional healthcare to do that for themselves, to provide the type of care that they want to provide. Because for me, how can I sit around and talk about healthy living and, you know, being intentional if, if I haven't like carved that path for myself. So it's a, it's just really, it's really interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, most, I, I'm sure your experience was similar, but I mean, I had like a six week po postpartum check and it was virtual. Cause it was like in 2020 and I couldn't, I remember after that visit, like hanging up and just thinking like, this is all women get like, yeah. we, we have our entire lives flipped upside down and, you know, we have this whole new human and our bodies are different. Our minds are different. Like everything is different. And at six weeks, somebody's like, Hey, how's it going? Are you sad? Like how's breastfeeding? How's yeah. the baby? Okay, good. You know? And I, <laughs> I just couldn't, it was just astounding to me that we go through that transition and we don't have more support, you know, built in or expected, you know, in those situations. So yeah. yeah, when I, when I came back, I remember I was supposed to schedule like my own annual well woman exam. And I just kept putting it off and putting it off. And then every time I would try to schedule, she wouldn't be available for like weeks and our schedules wouldn't align and I would have to cancel my own patients. And so, yeah, I think I found myself, like I was, the dog was never late on his physical. My son was never late right. on his <laughs> but I, I was literally like always running behind on my own things that I was telling other patients to do. So, you know, that hypocrisy definitely didn't feel good. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't. And, um, it's, it's amazing that women do all of the things that we do because yeah, I mean, we have no, it's, there's just not a lot of scaffolding kind of built into the healthcare system as it is to support any person, but let alone women <laughs> and yeah. what we actually need. You know, we, we care a lot about infertility or these different things, you know, get, we care, we have visits every other week sometimes for the actual baby during pregnancy, but then afterwards it's. Yeah. Um, 
I just, I don't know. I just have like, I just had like chills because it's just so fascinating to me how so many of us now are like, nope, we're doing it another way. <laughs> and like people are pioneering and starting these new ways of practice that serve us. And as a result are serving other women and meeting them more where they are. Mm-hmm. And like along those lines, how do you talk to people about the environments that are designed for us? Like for me, I find that is one of the challenging most challenging parts of navigating is like, okay, we want to be healthy, but literally every environment, uh, the healthcare system, all these things are kind of set up to, to basically lead us in the exact opposite direction. (laughs) So I always say to people, it's like to be healthy is like this radical rebellion. It's like something you got to constantly be vigilant with is, do you have any kind of advice that you give to people to to navigate that? I mean, I think I, I try to always just start with validating what they're feeling and experiencing. Cause like their experience is usually like, this feels so hard. Like, how is everyone else doing this? Like, how is this even a possible thing? You know, or like, why does it feel so hard? And I think just by, you know, acknowledging, like, for instance, with the healthcare system, like you're not nuts to want more, (laughs) you're not crazy to, you know, feel like, you know, your appointments are rushed or that like people are not hearing you or paying attention to you or giving you the advice that you're asking for, you know, like you're not crazy. Like we have created a system that doesn't really make sense and is not built to take care of you. So, so, you know, don't blame yourself for that. And I feel like that ought honestly goes like such a long way because so few people are saying that. And even I had a hard time saying that when I was working in that system, because you never want to like, you know, Mm -hmm. say that the the patient shouldn't come and see you or that you are not not doing a good job or whatever. But um, I think that validation means a lot to people. And then I think also I try to emphasize, especially for my demographic, that these are seasons of your life and what's right in this season is not going to be maybe what's right in the next season or what works for you now may not be what works for you later or what worked for you before. And, you know, the goal is just to constantly find what's going to work for you right now and to do that. And you might have to pivot, but like, that's okay. Like, that's just how that's the nature of life. And I think, you know, especially when you're like, I really would like to stop eating after, you know, like 7 PM, but like my, you know, sun doesn't go down until 7 30. And I like to like take time preparing my meal and sitting down and enjoying it. My husband doesn't get home until eight. So in this season of my life, like that goal is not something that I can, I can do, you know, but I know it will not be like that forever. Like someday we will all sit at the table together and eat at a reasonable time. And I can, you know, focus on that. But for now, I'll just focus on other things that are more feasible for me. So, Definitely. you know, I, I think it's just a lot of like validating, reminding them that things are temporary, focusing on the things that you can adjust, um, basically like that. Yeah. Self-compassion. And I think it's like challenging because like we were ch- chatting about at the beginning, so much health and nutrition advice that's out there is, is just so micro and and weird. I'm like, why are we focusing on these things? Like, so I'm just like, why are we having this conversation? And I think it's because people don't realize, or it's been kind of like propagated that health is really hard and it's, and it's, it's actually not all that hard. You know, making it work can be challenging, but we don't have to get to the level of like just these super micro elimination diets and supplements and all of that. What What's your experience? Like, I just saw a post you put out today that I thought was so great about um, supplements. Yeah. What, how does that show up in your practice? And like, what's your approach with 
you know, do you prescribe supplements? Do you take supplements away? What does it look like? Yeah. I mean, it, a lot of it is meeting patients where they are. So, um, you know, I do have a background in nutrition and I feel like one of the things that that's taught me is, you know, in general supplementation is not going to be some sort of like magical cure for anything. <laughs> There's situations medically where it's indicated and it's, you know, in some situations has been proven to be safe and effective. And in those situations, I definitely will use supplements. Like obviously iron deficiency, vitamin D deficiency, um, vitamin, you know, documents of B12 deficiency, preventing neural tube defects in pregnancy. I mean, there's so many reasons that you, you know, can and should take supplements. And in those cases, I try to guide patients towards, you know, brands that I think are you know, safe and third-party certified and high quality and things like that. But what I see more often is people who are just trying to be proactive or they have some symptom and then they look up or they see something about some supplement that is supposed to help with that symptom, whether that's, you know, fatigue or, you know, um, hair loss or whatever. And, and then they start taking it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so hard for patients, I think, to work through all of the marketing and kind of misinformation and pseudoscience that's out there. And I, and I honestly feel bad that a lot of people are just out there trying to do that on their own because it's not easy to really, you know, critically examine a supplement and see whether it, you know, makes sense to take or not. Like, I actually think even for me, it requires like a lot of time and brain power and energy and time to look at the references and to like, look at the studies and look at the study design, and look at all, yes. you know, and, and so that's not really something that like your average person without a scientific background can, can really do adequately. So I usually tell people in general, like if you're thinking about a supplement, please talk to your doctor about it. If you have a doctor that you think is just going to dismiss you and you don't feel comfortable with that, you should find another doctor that you, you do feel yeah, comfortable yeah. talking about it with. Um, and then have that person really, you know, help you evaluate the evidence for it and decide if it's something that is, you know, reasonable for you to take. But um, you know, the vast majority of supplements out there are really not backed by strong scientific evidence. And a lot of times the solution is so much more simple, which is like a well-rounded whole food plant-based or Mediterranean diet. Like these, I sound like a broken record because I say these phrases over and over and over again. Um, but you know, you're, you're never going to get the same benefit from a supplement that you would get if that same nutrient was in its natural form. That's just like, right. That is just a fact in nutrition. Yeah. It's and so, so I always bring it back to that when people are asking me about taking things. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. It's so you were talking and I'm like, oh, that makes me feel sometimes I feel like, am I not a good dietitian that I have to sit here um, in Google Scholar anytime somebody brings <laughs> a new supplement to my attention? And like, like I like I'm like, wow, this is really challenging. I must not know enough, but it's no, it's just hard. No, it is challenging. I mean, it should yeah. be challenging if you're really critically examining and not just kind of, you know, glazing yeah. over the titles of things. Um, and it's yeah, it takes a lot of time. Like I I feel when I am doing it, I'm like, God, this is hard. <laughs> like this is yeah. hard work. So I mean, it's part of the reason why most doctors, I mean, can't afford to spend that time because they know that the conclusion in most cases is that there isn't a lot of good data because when there right. is, it usually rises to the level of either becoming a prescription or being widely accepted among, you know, the medical community as something that we should be using. So you know, my ears perk up when I see like, oh, the gastroenterologists all seem to be prescribing this one thing. Like I should like look into that, you know, or, oh, the OBGYNs really like this or endos really seems like this. Then I'll start like doing my, my own deep dive of them. Yeah. But, you know, when it's just something from some Instagram clickbait or something, yeah. 
most of the time I can see from a mile away that it is probably not going to have enough evidence to support its use. Yeah. Do you see, I mean, I'm assuming, do you see a lot of women with PCOS in your practice? I do. I do. Cause yeah. I think it's one of those, it's a perfect storm of something where we don't know a lot about what causes it. We don't have a cure. And I think a lot of the treatments women feel are sort of like knee jerk prescriptions and they have trouble kind of, you know, feeling as if they're really managing it well or addressing the root cause. And so there's a tendency, I think, to look into the alternative world and look for supplements and, you know, dietary protocols and all kinds of complicated things to address it. Um, and sometimes again, with those patients, like just validation goes a long way. Like just being like, it sucks to like have this thing that's so nebulous and, you know, you feel like you can't cure it and people are not giving you straight answers about things. Like I hear that I get it, you know, but you know, I try to do that and offer them what I consider evidence-based options and still kind of like rein them in when I feel like they're going too far into the realm of stuff that is not evidence-based and is not likely to be helpful. And, you know, is most likely just wasting their time and energy and money. Definitely. That, I think that, um, I think that's the most challenging piece, at least for, for me. And, um, I say this with love. I love all of you guys because you guys are listening to this conversation. Um, and the people in my community at this point are, you know, we've been doing this for a while together. But there are lots of people that reach out for the first time. And it's almost like this uh, with kind of the, I don't even know what you call it, the functional route or like the naturopathic route, the holistic kind of route, that it's so, um, that side's so convincing. And I find that our story is a little like, it's harder to get through almost because that story is so much against traditional healthcare that if you're associated, do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I yeah. get why it is because it's so compelling. Like it, you know, to go to an endocrinologist who spent 10 minutes with you and barely looked at your labs and, and you know, basically said, okay, here's birth control pills, metformin, spironolactone, yeah. have a nice day feels terrible. And I, it, sh it should feel terrible. I mean, that I get, get why it feels terrible. It's like completely understandable that that feels terrible. And then to go to a functional doctor who spends an hour with you and listens to everything that you have to say, asks you questions about your life, asks you questions about what you're doing, talks to you about physiology, puts together a story for you that makes sense. And then yeah. says, and here are the solutions. And this is how they fit into that. Oh my gosh. Why would anybody not say no to that? Like, it's very, very appealing. And when you put pit it against the traditional healthcare model, it's going to win every time, you know, like that's yeah. always feel better. Um, but you know, we have to ask ourselves, like, what does the evidence really show? Because this is like, I, I take people's bodies and their health so seriously and the decisions I make affect their bodies and their health. And so I want to hold everything I'm recommending to them to the highest scientific standard. And I think when you do that, you're going to end up, <laughs> you know, seeing that a lot of the recommendations in, you know, the medical world end up being, you know, what you're left with. And do we deliver that in the right model and in the right way? And in a way that's compassionate and validating and empowering, usually we don't. <laughs> and so that's where, you know, we, I think fall short. And that's why I think you're seeing so many of these direct care doctors prop up. And that's the ones that are wanting to talk to you because, you know, we're trying to do it a different way. And, and I think that's the only that's way. We I, that's thank you for saying all that. I think that's a great way of looking at it. 
I feel like I want to make like some content around this because it's that's um that's always like a hard kind of wall that I hit where people are like, well, when I see my functional doctor, I feel better. And so therefore, you know, all of these supplements and every single thing is the reason. And not, you know, not all functional doctors are created equal. This isn't a bash on functional medicine, but yeah, yeah. Um but I think it's like highlighting the fact that there is evidence that supports when you're listened to and you have more time with a provider, of course, it, you know, of course it feels better, but yeah. it might not be because of all these solutions that you're spending, you know, spending money on or, or whatever. But I think what you're doing is so amazing because yeah, I mean, it's like a case, it's like a case study into how, okay, if we're delivering traditional medicine, but we're doing it in, you know, in an empowered and self and in a compassionate way, are more people going to come into this model? And it looks like the answer so far is yes. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I'm banking. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really interesting. And so like for a woman with PCOS, kind of in our last few minutes, like say somebody does come into your office with PCOS, is there anything more, you know, PCOS specific, like the, the conversations that you have or just treatments that you use or any different kind of way that you look at that, at that person and what they might be experiencing? I mean, honestly, Emily, I direct a lot of them to your Instagram page. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> I, refer them, I refer them directly to your Instagram page because, you know, you're devoting, you, you know, your entire career and all this time to it. And I feel like I trust that you are always giving really good evidence-based recommendations and it, it is the same stuff oftentimes over and over and over again, but I mean, that, that is what the evidence exists for. (laughs) So, um, I mean, a lot of the things you already talk about, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but like a Mediterranean, a Mediterranean diet or style of eating. Um, I now am sort of, um, starting to talk to patients about inositol supplementation, which I'm super stingy about supplementation, but I feel like the data on it looks, you know, and the risks look pretty low. And again, I try to set expectations with the patient. So it's not like this is magical. Like this is going to make everything better. It's like, there is some evidence that this seems to help, you know? Um, so we, this is something that you can try if you're open to it. Um, now I, you know, use a lot of the GLP-1 agonist agents. So, um, I found that for patients who are really struggling with weight loss with just doing, you know, lifestyle management, sometimes those are super helpful and they're becoming a little bit more available now. So, um, I do those, but, Again, in general, I think I try to plug them in with an OBGYN who I know is going to listen to them so that they feel heard and supported and somebody that I can communicate with. So the patient feels a little bit more, or if they have an endocrinologist or want an endocrinologist, plugging them in with somebody that I know is going to listen and will communicate with me and just making them feel that they have a true team that's taking care of this issue and everybody is on the same page about what they're recommending, as opposed to feeling like one person says, I don't have PCOS. One person says, I do have it. One person says I should be on these meds. The other person says I shouldn't be on these meds. So kind of just making sure that all the providers that are involved, that are involved are, you know, um, communicating and, you know, on the same page about what the treatment plan is and all kind of hearing the patient is like the biggest part. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because like with PCOS, there's not really um, like with diabetes, we have kind of guidelines, you know, this is when it's appropriate for the person with diabetes to go to the endocrinologist. This is when they can be managed by the primary care doctor, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that exists, but with PCOS, it's, it doesn't exist. And so a lot of the time women are like, who's supposed to actually manage me? 
then right, we have right. like no endocrinologists. We just have like <laughs> no endocrinologists, even though most of the population like has an endocrine condition. It's it's wild. So is that like this is like the biggest thing that I'm always interested to know providers' opinion on. Like for somebody with PCOS, should they advocate and try to get in with an endocrinologist if they're still experiencing symptoms? Or is it better to just find a PCP that you connect with better? Like what, who's, who do you start with? I mean, I think you, I think you can always start with either your PCP or your OBGYN for a lot of women in our age group, they're just seeing an OBGYN or that might be the person that they actually know the best or have had spent the most time with, you know? So mm-hmm. I think you can either start with a PCP or OBGYN. Um, hopefully it's somebody that you feel comfortable with and you feel like is hearing you. And then, you know, I think if you get to the point where whatever they're offering you or recommending, you don't feel that it's managed your symptoms, I definitely do think it's appropriate to have a referral to an endocrinologist. However, I would say, try to make sure that that is somebody that either you, you know, you have friends or family who have had a good experience with, or you have, you know, a a personal recommendation from your OBGYN or PCP, because I just worry so much. Like I'm kind of like a mama bear about my own patients. I worry so much that they're going to go to somebody and have a bad experience and then be turned off to like the entire field or think that there's no solutions or no hope for them. So, you know, and I, 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 this is not to say like, there's like all these bad endocrinologists out there. It's just that because of the structure of practice, so many people have so little time with their patients. And so you can end up in that situation where you just go and you feel as though you're not even having enough time to explain your symptoms and somebody is just handing you a prescription. And that's not because they're doing the wrong thing or they're bad doctors or they're bad people or anything like that. It's just like they are in a system where they probably have way too many patients and way too little time and just don't have the bandwidth to give you, you know, the experience you're looking for. So I would say definitely reasonable to get a referral if you're feeling like, you know, your needs are not or your, your, your symptoms are not being adequately controlled. Um, but always then also circle back with a good PCP or an internist, because sometimes things we attribute to PCOS may be something else. And you don't want to end up on this, you know, goose chase going down the, the wrong path when it was actually something else that was happening. So yeah. um, it's really, it's really about having a good team in place. Mm-hmm. That's just incredible. Um, so like in, with your practice being, do you see any men or is it all women? I do see men. So actually 30% of my practice is men. I like, I market it very clearly to women and I'm talking (laughs) to women in all of my posts and in my website and, you know, everything is like really directed towards them. Um, But I'm a general internist, so I can take care of men or women. And I had, you know, a group of men that followed me from my old practice, which was understandable. Um, But then I also have had like a lot of husbands join because I feel like what kind of care their wife is getting, or they see that, you know, they're just able to text me and get an answer to something right away. And they're like, wait, I want that too. So um, I've had a lot of spouses uh, and partners join the practice as well. So um, yeah, I take, I take everybody. (laughs) Yeah. So, so with women, with women's health, um, in like in your thirties and forties, what do we, what do we want to have on our radar so that we are like being proactive? Are there any, um, what are they called? Preventative kind of tests or measures that we need to start doing now. Is there anything that we, that we need to think about? I mean, I think if you can just establish a good relationship with a PCP and see them once a year, 
um, that is like a good starting point because that visit will ensure at least no matter where you go, it should mm -hmm. ensure that you're up to date on your routine vaccines, that you're up to date on any cancer screenings that you, you need, that somebody has discussed your family history with you because it's very important to know, like for instance, for family histories of colon cancer or breast cancer, you may have to start those screenings earlier than other people. So, you know, usually that annual physical visit will cover that. And typically the annual physical, again, no matter where you go, because this part is pretty standard, you, you know, you should get um, some basic screening blood work. So a lot of times that'll be cholesterol and a fasting blood sugar. Some, you know, when you look at the, the data, that's honestly a lot, all that most healthy people need in my mm -hmm. practice, I'm like a little bit more liberal since I don't have to, you know, run everything through the insurance and we can have like a full conversation about how they're feeling. And usually I find one or two other things that are worth checking. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you, if you do that annual physical, even if it's the most basic, you know, version of it, you got at least some of those bases covered. And I think going one step beyond that is really examining and doing a deep dive into all of those lifestyle factors. Yeah diet, exercise, stress management, which is huge and sleep quality. I mean, those yeah. things determine so much of our long-term health. And if you are, you know, I find that even if all of them are like, you know, 10 out of 10 and one is like two out of 10, that one just drags everything else down. Yeah, really. So it's, you know, look, really looking at those factors and asking yourself, how can I do better at these is, you know, the key to, building a foundation that's going to keep you healthy in your 40s, 50s, 60s later on. Amazing. Well, I feel like that feel that feels so good to me because I'm like, okay, this is simple. The lifestyle and, and the screenings because it I don't know, it, the information is is confusing and it's overwhelming and people kind of get stuck sometimes in this little hamster wheel of like I need more tests, I need more tests, I need more tests. And it's like it's not always, you know, no, we need to just go kind of implement, figure it out, get support. Um, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just ask you one more quick thing because it's on my mind and I'm just curious mm -hmm. when you mentioned around kind of like getting to the root cause for PCOS, what, it, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I don't think we fully understand, uh, like truly what, <laughs> what causes this for a lot of people. Um, but I think that, you know, we, what we understand about some of the pathways of what's happening points us in the direction of correcting diet and, you know, or I don't want to use the word correcting because that makes it sound like there's bad and good, but, um, you know, moving your diet towards a different way of eating. And then, you know, I think the stress part of it is like, <laughs> I, stress management, I think is such a huge part of addressing any disease because almost any condition ends up causing stress and then it becomes this vicious feedback cycle. So I think if you can, you know, I mean, again, it just goes back to the same, like five lifestyle or four or five lifestyle factors. So if you can, if you can optimize your nutrition through the way you're eating if you can get your body enough sleep and rest, and if you can manage your stress, I feel like, you know, regardless of what condition, PCOS or whatever, or something that's incurable, something incurable, you will already be in such a better place. And when you're dealing with something that doesn't have a specific cure, again, those five, four yeah. or five things are like where you should be investing your time and energy, and then let your medical professionals guide you on, you know, what to do beyond that. That's awesome. 
So you're, you view the root cause as being more so like, is there a domain in the lifestyle that we can focus in on? Or, you know, are there multiples? That's a, I like that. That's cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think a lot of people are going to love this conversation. And even though you're not speaking directly to them, I feel like seen and heard. So I'm sure other people are going to feel like seen and heard, which is amazing. And Sonia, what is your Instagram handle? Can you remind us? Yeah, sure. So I'm on Instagram as at Sonia Singh MD. So it's S-O-N-I-A-S-I-N-G-H-M-D. And then I also have an Instagram for my practice, which is at Juniper H-T-X. So it's J-U-N-I-P-E-R-H-T-X. So I'm in Houston, Texas. So if you're actually anywhere in the state of Texas, you can um, become a member of my practice and reach out to me. That's amazing. Cool. I know we have a lot of women in Texas, so that's exciting. Um, and thank you so much for being here. And maybe we'll have you back sometime. That would be fun. I would love to. And thanks for all the work that you do and all the content. You Aww, I really, you. I, I learn things. And I, like I said, I recommend you to my patients all the time. And I'm so glad that there's people like you in this space to counteract all of the other Aww, <laughs> thank you. things that are happening. That means so much. I appreciate it. All right. 